0: A curious story that happened this week, the FAA is investigating why a Delta Airlines plane making an emergency landing at LAX dropped jet fuel over a playground covering children and some adults. There are special procedures that dictate that if necessary, fuel dumps must be made from higher altitudes and over unpopulated areas. Thankfully, there were no serious injuries, but city officials are angry and want to know why this jet fuel was dumped. Colleen Shelby, reporter at the LA Times, joins us for more on this outrage.
1: We know that this flight was taking off to Shanghai, and shortly after, the uh, pilot radioed in saying that there was a compressor stall, which isn't a totally uncommon situation. It doesn't always necessitate an emergency landing, but in this case, because of the distance, they decided to head back to LAX. The pilot initially said that he did not need to dump any jet fuel. And at some point along the way, that decision was reversed. And we don't know if there were further communication. We don't know if the pilot decided that something needed to change. But we do know that at about 2,300 feet over Kodahai, as you had mentioned, there was jet fuel that was dropped over a playground. It hit about 20 students and 11 adults. And then in nearby areas, other children and adults were also affected.
0: You mentioned that there was a bunch of students and some adults in the area that did get sprayed with some of the fuel. Really, no major injuries, but there was like skin irritation, and obviously the smell was really bad.
1: So, LAFD and LA County Fire, they ended up treating about sixty people in total with minor injuries. So there was nothing severe, but being doused by jet fuel is something to look at. We had students talk to one of my colleagues, Andrew Campa, about smelling that smell of gas they walked outside they thought it was rainy and then realized that they were hit by some other weird substance and because the plane was so low i mean it was just i imagine a very frightening scene especially if you're a kid but not expecting something like that
0: i know that there's uh special procedures in place for when something like this has to happen obviously those procedures weren't followed we don't know exactly why but what procedures do they have in place for this
1: FAA usually recommends that if you need to dump fuel, that you do it above 10,000 feet or higher to give room for those vapors to just evaporate so it doesn't feel like rain coming down and to do it over an unpopulated area. So this is another question that's come up because we know that the plane had made its way over the Pacific at one point. It was over some other unpopulated areas, so we aren't totally sure at what point the decision was made to drop that fuel and why it was made to do over these residential areas.
0: This community in particular has been affected by a bunch of different environmental problems. I know there was like a battery recycling plant in one of the neighboring cities there. It was emitting cancer-causing arsenic and lead. So it just seems like another slap in the face of this community that something like this would happen when they've already been dealing with other things.
1: And we had some local officials say just that much, that they were disappointed that this was happening, that once again, that their community seems to be affected by this. There are large swaths of pollution in this space. So I think that this is something that's been you know, an ongoing concern, obviously not the extent of jet fuel dropping daily, but certainly other factors have been at play in the past.
0: And then what kind of investigations are we looking at? I know the FAA is looking into, I know city officials are really angry about this and they're calling for investigations also.
1: So we don't have any further details at this point of what's been uncovered or how the decision came about. We just know that FAA is looking into it. We know that Delta put out a statement saying that typically what would happen if the plane needed to release some weight, that it might do so in a capacity like this. But again, we don't know how the decision was made or where it came from.
0: Colleen Shelby, reporter at the LA Times. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We also have another plane story. This is a creepy airport story. There was a woman named Ashley Barno who was boarding a flight at the San Diego International Airport when she began to receive flirty text messages from an unknown number. The text soon turned out to be from an American Airlines employee who got her information off her luggage bag tag. Barno is now suing the airline for negligent hiring, sexual harassment, and stalking. For more on this story, we spoke to Reese Tebow. He's a reporter at The Washington Post, and he'll tell us what all these creepy texts said.
2: So Ashley Barno is a woman here, and she was at the San Diego International Airport waiting to board her flight to Chicago. And she gets a text message from a number she doesn't know. And it says something like, hello, how are you? And she responds politely and says, you know, I'm fine. Who is this? Sorry, you know, don't have your number. (laughs) Right. And this guy kind of banters a little bit and then says, by the way, I must tell you, you are gorgeous. And she responds and says, thanks, but who is this? At Uh, this
0: point, you know, you don't know what it is. It could have been somebody you met a week ago or something. So you're just kind of like getting some creepy vibes, but you just don't know exactly what's happening yet.
2: Exactly. She's like, is this this person throws out a name that she met. And and this guy's like, no. And she asks again, how'd you get my number? Who are you? And he's kind of trying to play this game with her. He's telling her, well, you just got to guess. At this point, it could be just you know, like your number neighbor or just like a random person who is nowhere near you. But then he says something that really creeps her out. He says, I just saw you at the airport. You were looking very gorgeous in gray top today. And she's, of course, wearing a gray shirt.
0: Now that's the first instance of really being creeped out. I mean, you can just imagine the feeling of dread because now you know, right, that somebody's watching you. Somebody's seen you Mm -hmm. in your current outfit and they're sending you these kind of weird text messages out of nowhere. This is all kind of spurred a big lawsuit now against the airline and this man. But tell us more about this. How did these text messages progress?
2: They exchanged over 100 text messages and it's actually asking those same questions. Who are you? How did you get my number? That kind of thing. And and this guy mixing kind of mystery and this strange, creepy flattery with basically dodges to her questions. And it continues. So she's sitting in the airplane and he says something like, are you also headed to Chicago? And she then realizes, wait, this guy's on my plane. And then he tells her that he watched her board the flight and just didn't say anything, do anything, say hello, just watched her walk past him.
0: So the texts are coming and we come to find out that this man is an employee for American Airlines. And he eventually tells her that he got her phone number from her bag tag, from her luggage, which begs even more questions like, Was he sitting next to her in the waiting area? Did he take a picture of the bag tag? Things like that. So, I mean, really amping up the creep factor. She ended up having to contact one of the flight attendants on the flight and say, hey, this guy, his name is Ahmad. He says he works for American Airlines. He's on this plane. He sent me all these creepy text messages. And what did the flight attendant say at that point?
2: When Ashley reached out to a flight attendant, the plane was in the air and she explained the situation. She was in tears, the very thought of being in an enclosed aircraft and literally having no place to run. And the flight attendant in Ashley's telling was really kind, said, "Okay, this is scary, made sure that Ashley was seated far away from this person who she evidently recognized and knew or at least was able to identify And then she checked in throughout the flight and made sure that Ashley was still doing all right. And then when they landed, when the plane landed in Chicago, people who looked like security guards came onto the plane before everyone else left and escorted this guy off. And then everyone else got off the
0: plane. Apparently, there had been a report, I guess, that said that he had done this before, maybe to another passenger. So, as I said, this spurred a lawsuit now, and she's suing American Airlines. Because I guess she was trying to get answers for a long time. They weren't responding to her. She wanted to know if there was any disciplinary action taken. I think he no longer works for American Airlines. They took some disciplinary action. Tell us about the lawsuit. And do mm-hmm. we know what this man, like what position he held with American Airlines? Ashley
2: and her lawyer are suing over negligent hiring, sexual harassment, and stalking. And they're saying that American Airlines, knew. new of this person's propensity for basically being creepy to its customers and didn't do anything about it. Now, that's an accusation that American Airlines has not discussed. So they basically aren't getting into the weeds there, nor did they tell us what position this guy Uh, held. They didn't tell us whether he was a flight attendant, whether he was someone at the gate swiping tickets. We don't know that. What we do know is that He was not on duty when this happened and has since been terminated. The kind of circumstances around that are also unclear.
0: Reese Thibault, reporter for the Washington Post, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Finally, for this week, Impossible Foods has unveiled their latest creation, and it's called Impossible Pork. The company is aiming to get kosher and halal certification to open up their product to more people. So we spoke to a lifelong practicing Muslim who tried the plant-based pork for her thoughts on this. We'll also find out how Muslim and Jewish leaders feel about fake pork. Abrar Alhidi, reporter for CNET, joins us.
3: So this is the latest product from Impossible Foods. It's kind of their next challenge. So after kind of perfectly replicating the taste and smell and look of real beef, the next obvious choice for them was apparently pork. And the CEO had told me that pork is such a common meat across the world and particularly in Asia, which is a market that Impossible Foods really wants to tackle. And so this was kind of a clear choice for them. And so this is something that looks and tastes and smells like real pork. It has that pinkish color when it's raw and then you cook it and it's juicy. And it's fascinating to see how something that is absolutely plant-based can look so believable. So it's supposed to replace any recipe that calls for ground pork meat.
0: In a lot of these things, it's really all about the seasonings that go with it. So if you have like this ground meat, obviously you season it properly. You're kind of halfway there. The Impossible Pork is gluten-free, and they're saying that they're designing it, trying to get certification for kosher and halal. And we'll get to that in a moment because um, you're actually a lifelong practicing Muslim, and you tried this out. So that's a very interesting aspect I want to get into, but we'll do that after we finish talking about the Impossible Pork. Impossible Foods, they say, they're really trying to take animals out of the food chain. This is one of their chief goals for a variety of reasons. Climate change and then biodiversity also.
3: So this is something that the company really emphasizes is the sustainability angle. And so they say that creating plant-based meats has a smaller environmental footprint than meat from animals. They say that it takes a fraction of land and water to make something like Impossible Pork. And so if you have to cut back on the need for crops that are used to feed animals. And that also means you cut back on fertilizer and pesticides. And they say that that could obviously also be better for the environment. And it's interesting too, because with the Impossible Burger, That's something that they use to cater to vegans. And so with the possible pork, it's interesting because part of it is, yes, we want to cater to vegans, but it's also the fact that they're seeking halal certification. The fact that they're seeking kosher certification means that they're also targeting people who perhaps would eat a meat if they could. And so it's not just vegans that they're focused on, but it's this broader range of people as well.
0: So in the real world, obviously, beef comes from cows and pork comes from pigs. What's in this impossible pork? It seems like it's very similar to the impossible burger.
3: So a lot of the ingredients are similar. So they have the main protein in impossible pork is soy. And then their fat sources are sunflower oil and coconut oil. And that kind of gives it that juiciness and and allows it to kind of cook very similarly to real meat. There are amino acids, vitamins and sugars and things like that. And then kind of the critical element is heme, which is essentially this iron containing compound that's found in all living organisms. And that kind of adds to the meaty flavor and aroma. And that's kind of what makes it seem so believable.
0: And how healthy is it? Because for some time, this kind of arose. Well, at least on the meat side of it, the impossible meat side of it, they were saying, well, this is a highly processed food. It's not very healthy for you. So, How many calories are in this in the pork side of it? What does this look like?
3: That is still kind of a huge concern among many people when it comes to these plant-based things is how processed are these products and is it really better for you than meat? And that's kind of a debate that I'm sure will amplify kind of in the days and months to come. But Impossible Pork does have fewer calories than 70% lean pork. So there's 220 calories in Impossible Pork versus 350 calories in a four ounce serving of regular pork. There's also less fat, less saturated fat. There's no cholesterol, but it does have 420 milligrams of sodium, whereas regular pork Has 80 milligrams. So there are trade offs, of course.
0: Yeah, that's sodium. And then, you know, for a lot of people that are very health conscious, that sodium content is a killer. A lot of people don't want to opt for higher sodium in their diets. So we still don't know exactly when Impossible Pork will be widely available to the masses. But the first offering we will get will be at Burger King, actually, in some type of Impossible Croissant, which I think they're calling it. So it's going to be Impossible Sausage, right?
3: That's exactly right. You got your croissant, egg and cheese, and then this impossible sausage. And that'll roll out to 139 Burger King restaurants in five test regions throughout the country.
0: Abrar, you are a lifelong practicing Muslim. Tell us first off the dietary restrictions that you follow and then how this experience was because you did taste this.
3: I did taste it and it was quite an experience. You know, as part of my faith, I can't eat pork. And so this was the first time that I was able to kind of know what that tastes like. So there, you know, I think most people who avoid pork for religious reasons or whatever reasons that they have will say that there have been accidents, right? You bite into something and there's a piece of bacon or you bite into something and you realize there's pepperoni under the cheese slice that you thought was just a cheese pizza. But this was the first time that I was intentionally kind of eating something and, you know, not immediately spitting it out. And so it was kind of a bit of a hurdle mentally to be like, okay, this is something I'm going to try. Right. So that was interesting. And I think it took a minute and I ate it kind of in a sandwich. So there was carrots and, and the bun and the sauce and everything. So then I tried to taste it and it kind of has a mild flavor, which I'm told pork kind of does too, until you kind of add the seasoning. And then I broke off a couple pieces of it to try by itself. It's not that it tasted bad to me. But I think there's still that element in my brain of like, this feels wrong. Like I can't turn that off. And going back to that idea of labeling, of course, you know, as I just mentioned, you know, that it's not pork, you know, that it's plant based, but just to have something be called pork and to be doing something and to be trying a flavor that you've never been able to try before is quite a mental hurdle.
0: I'm sure a lot of that is in your head, even in the article that you wrote for CNET, Mm -hmm. you said, you know, my brain and my stomach had a hard time processing (laughs) And that after about 15 minutes, you felt a little queasy. Uh, How did that work out for you?
3: at first, my colleagues were asking me, how do you feel right after I had tried? it?" And I was like, I feel totally fine. It's totally normal. And then after a little bit of time, I was like, okay, no, this is strange. And it was hard to separate how much of it is in my head and how much of it actually is my stomach being like, this isn't normal. But I felt that same way with the Impossible Burger and I can eat beef. But I think after I had tried the Impossible Burger, I think it's something my stomach isn't used to because it's not actual beef. It's these processed elements. And so your body is like, okay, this is something new. And I think that's probably common for most things that are foreign to your body. But it was interesting. It took a few hours for me to be able to kind of have a proper meal after that. (laughs) I mean,
0: it's just so interesting. You know, like you said, it's in your head, you know that it's not pork, but the courage that it takes to get over that, to get over what your brain has been taught, what you've been practicing for so long, just to get over that is tough. You also spoke to an imam and a rabbi about their thoughts and, you know, how it might play in the larger communities. As we keep saying, you know, they are eventually going to try to look for a kosher and halal certification. So What were their reactions to this?
3: It was interesting to see that because the mom was very much like, if somebody asked me if I should try this, I would not recommend it, unless it was somebody who was converting and had a hard time kind of completely cutting pork out of their diet. He actually kind of compared it to vaping and smoking. He would say, I wouldn't recommend somebody start vaping if they've never smoked. But if somebody's already a smoker and they're trying to wean off of that, I'd be like, okay, you know, if vaping is your way out of that, then sure, go ahead. And so he kind of drew that comparison for me. I spoke to two rabbis and one of them, Rabbi Cook, said he... Also isn't particularly drawn to an impossible pork product because he doesn't feel like it's meat that he misses in his life. But there's also that element of if somebody is choosing a kosher lifestyle that might take different meanings for them. So it could be, okay, I want to only put things that are good for the environment and good for my body into my system. And that could be, okay, I'm going to have a more kind of health conscious, you know, I'm only going to eat things that are health conscious. And so maybe they could use that argument to consume something like impossible pork, having something plant-based and better for the environment. The other rabbi I spoke with said, you know, if it's Made from kosher ingredients and is kosher certified, even if it tastes and smells like a non kosher product, it's totally safe. And if there's something that makes the world of kosher available to more people and accessible to more people, then that's a good thing.
0: It seems still from both sides that if you are part of the faith and you grew up this way, for the most part, it's not something that you're necessarily missing, just a byproduct of you've never had it before, right? So if it's not something that you're not necessarily missing in your life, Why go this extra step to go through with trying it and things like that?
3: Exactly. That was kind of my takeaway was, you know, I can eat chicken, I can eat lamb, I can eat beef. Is it really necessary for me to, you know, walk into a Burger King and order an impossible croissant, which when I could just have like anything else, you know, there's so many other options and for other people, hopefully there are other options for them as well. But yeah, when you have that mental hurdle, is it really worth kind of trying to leap over?
0: Well, I mean, work might take you there. So you might have another article about the impossible <laughs> croissant, Sandwich. for impossible Thank foods you. though, they haven't really let up exactly where they're going next. I know they want to get into the seafood game, chicken, obviously another uh, big meat that people eat across the world. People are like expecting for that, but they haven't really signaled where they're going next.
3: The CEO told me that, you know, chicken is something that we can kind of anticipate in the near future. They kind of have understood how to crack the meat flavor. And once you kind of figure it out for one thing, it's easy to translate it into other things, but figuring out the texture and all of that takes a little bit of work. he kind of hinted at, you know, Impossible Bacon coming in the near future, but there is no clear word yet on where exactly the company will be going next.
0: Abrar Alhidi, reporter at CNET. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.